It's good to be with you guys this morning to share God's word with you. We are in the Gospels. The last two Sundays, we've been looking at different passages from the Gospels. Two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Bryant shared from John 3, and then last week, Matt was here, a guest preacher. He preached about the unstoppable kingdom of God. Powerful message. If you didn't get to hear that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. And today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. If you're on you version, it may say Mark 12, but it's actually Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And so I want to invite you to take your Bible and, um, and stand with me out of reverence for God and his word. We're going to jump right in this morning and look at Mark 2 together. And I'll read aloud as you follow along silently. Um, and I'll be in the Christian Standard Bible this morning. So this is what it says in Mark 2, verse 1. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, uh, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that what they were thinking, or that they were thinking like this within themselves, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. So a very familiar passage, one that you've probably heard before, read about. Maybe you studied it in children's church when you were younger. Uh, these four guys bring their friend to Jesus, and, and they're in Capernaum, which is a small little village, and this is the village that Peter's from. They're probably at Peter's home, and... Um, People have gathered around to hear Jesus, to see Jesus, to personally experience Jesus because at this point in his ministry, Jesus has some notoriety. People have heard wild things about him, crazy things that he's done. He's healed people and done amazing things, things that no other man has ever done. So they're interested. So there's so many of them gathered in there that this man can't get to Jesus. And, and most of the whole city's kind of there waiting to hear what Jesus is going to say, what he's going to do. And what Jesus is actually doing, the Bible says, is he's actually sharing the word with them. So he's teaching. And you know that other places in the Bible it said that Jesus taught with authority. He didn't teach like the other religious leaders of his day, but people really observed and noticed about him that he taught as one having authority. And so everything about Jesus, the way he reacted to things, the way he uh, dealt with people, the way he taught, everything was unique. So he's drawn this crowd, and the city is there, but there's one person who can't get there. And he wants to be there. It's this, this guy, we don't even know his name, and he's paralyzed. So he has no way physically to get to where Jesus is, but he wants to be there. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit inspires Mark, or in this case, Peter through Mark, to write down this account from the life of Jesus about this man being carried to him. There's a reason this is included in Scripture. It's not just a good story, though it is a good story. There's something here for you, and there's something here for me. It's inspired. The Holy Spirit's inspired this. So, so there are many discoveries we could make related to this story, but I want to share with you just a couple of discoveries this morning related to these four men 
You see, these four men represent basically leaders in this paralyzed man's life. And we're going to see why in just a minute. So this morning, as we share together, I hope that you could make these discoveries, and not just that they would be discoveries, because anytime we come together, whether it's in a connect group or a discipleship group or in our individual study or, or listening to a sermon, anytime we hear the word of God preached, we often learn new things. We make discoveries. But what do we do with them? What happens next? Do we take them into our life? Do we actually own them? Do we make them a part of who we are and how we live? That's my hope and prayer for you this morning. You're gonna make three simple discoveries, but I hope it doesn't stop there. I hope you'll own these things as you walk out of here this morning and they'll actually make a difference in the way that you lead other people. So the first thing I want you to discover is this, that leaders are initiators. Leaders are initiators. Someone in this group of four had to take the first step. We, we aren't privy to the conversation that happened, but at some point there was a conversation with the paralyzed man and these other four friends of his, and somebody came up with this plan. You know what, Jesus is over there at Peter's house and uh, this is probably your best shot. We gotta get you to Jesus because if we can get you to Jesus, the chances are really strong that your life is gonna change. And so, man, we're gonna do whatever it takes to get you there. There had to be some plan, some conversation. And so these four friends, we don't know which one of them, we don't even know their names, but all three gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark here, and then in Luke, it records this particular situation, this miracle of Jesus. And, and what you see in all three is it says the same thing. They, they came bringing their friend to Jesus. Now physically, they're, they're literally trying to physically get their friend to Jesus. So I'm not trying to spiritualize this passage because for us, many of us know people who don't know Jesus, who don't have a relationship with Jesus and and if we could physically get them in front of a physical Jesus, we would think that's a good thing, right? But the reality is we can bring them to a place right here every week or whenever we have special events where they can hear the word of Jesus actually taught. And for many of them, that'd be a new experience in their life. So, so what we see is these guys leading, they're initiating. That means they're going first, they're starting. They're not waiting on someone else. And that's really the difference between a leader and a follower. Oftentimes people say, well, I'd be glad if, if you'll start, if you'll get it going, I'd be glad to follow you or help you do whatever you need to do, but I don't wanna start it. I don't wanna be the one responsible for initiating it. Not these four. These four guys are saying, hey, you know what? We're gonna make a plan. We don't know if it's gonna work. We don't even know if it's a good idea, but we're gonna try it because there's Jesus and he's over there and he's a miracle worker and you need a miracle in your life. And so we're gonna do whatever it takes to get you to him. We're not waiting around. Leaders are people who initiate, they start. They make a plan and they go for it. They don't wait for other people to tell them what to do. We are a church of people leaders. We are people leading people to a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And I assume that if you're not in agreement with our mission, you wouldn't be here. So I'm making a big assumption this morning that you're all in. Those of you especially who've joined, who've completed the membership process and said, yes, I'm, I'm in agreement with who our church is. And part of that is, that I'm in agreement with the mission of Marbury Baptist Church. So I'm willing for the Lord to use me to lead other people to himself through me. So I hope that's you this morning. I hope you're willing to say in your heart, hey, I'm willing to lead somebody. I wanna be someone who leads other people. So let me just stop and ask you right now, who is the person in your life who is most like this paralyzed man? Maybe someone with actually a physical need like this, but it may be someone who doesn't have a physical need but they have an obvious spiritual need in their life. Someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, who doesn't know the Lord. 
Did you think of somebody when I said that a second ago? And if you didn't, because oftentimes I'll ask people, who's, who's your one? Who's somebody in your life, a neighbor, a relative, a coworker, you know, somebody you're a friend with or an acquaintance of who doesn't know Jesus, or you're not sure if they know Jesus that the Lord has kind of led you to. And oftentimes people in our church will say, I don't really have anybody. And that's really interesting to me because Jesus wants us to have somebody. And so here's what I would say to you, just stop right now. If that's you and you'd say, honestly, I don't have anybody. Would you stop right now and just ask him to lead you to someone? Because in my experience, when you sincerely ask him to do that, he will. <laughs> Maybe before the end of the day today or before the end of the day tomorrow, he'll lead you to someone, someone who needs to know him because that's part of the reason we're here. That's part of our mission is to be leaders in other people's lives. And so I would ask you to do that because he's faithful to do that. Let me tell you about a situation in my life where I, when I was a young Christian where I began to do this. I had uh, I just become a Christian about a year after I became a Christian, my senior year in high school, first day of school. I only had four classes my senior year. I was in the work program, so I went to school half a day, worked half a day. It was a great deal. And then halfway through the year, the other high school in town burned down, so I got out of school at 10 a.m. every day. It was a pretty amazing deal. So. But in, I had four classes and three of them, there was a guy that I'd never seen before. Like the first period of that first day of school, this guy's sitting next to me, I've never seen him before. And I've gone to this school district all my life, so I know most of the people in all my classes, but I don't know this guy. And because of alphabetical order, he's sitting right next to me. And so, you know, he's kind of friendly. I said hi to him, he said hi to me. Next period, we're next to each other in the next class too. So we start laughing about this. We're like, wow, I wonder what the next, next period. So three of my four classes, I sit right next to him. And his name's Daryl. And I don't know anything about Daryl except that he's brand new at our school. He just moved to the area and he doesn't know anybody and he's kind of wanting some friends. He's looking for some friends. So he and I begin to strike up a conversation and I'd been praying, Lord, lead me to somebody that I can share you with. I want to share my faith with somebody. And here's Daryl, doesn't know a soul. I'm the guy in all three classes with him. So I'm thinking, Lord, this might be an opportunity. Then the next morning, I see Daryl pull into the parking lot, and he's driving a 1957 Chevrolet pickup. And I'm all in now, okay? Because my granddad had a 1957 Chevrolet pickup, and I love old trucks, so I had a 65, he had a 57. So he comes into class, I'm like, hey, I saw you driving that 57 Chevrolet pickup. Is that your truck? He's like, yeah, I just got it, and it's ugly. It's dented up. It's primered, but I got big plans for it. And I'm like, that's so awesome. I love old trucks, you know? So we start talking about that. So we strike up a friendship. You know how you can just tell when you connect with somebody? I knew we had a connection. And so he and I got to talking in like the next class, the one after that. And I said, well, what are you doing? What are you doing Saturday? What do you do? He said, well, I work half a day till half, you know, it's like noon. But I realized he lived about four miles from me, so he didn't live far from me. I said, why don't you stop by my house, bring your truck. I'd love to look at it, show you my truck. We can kick the tires. You can tell me all the stuff you want to do to your truck and all that stuff. So he said, yeah, I'd love that. So he came by my house Saturday, and we're sitting in my driveway and sitting on the tailgate. And we've, we've fully investigated the vehicles. You know, we've looked at them and talked about them, dreamed about them. And I was nervous, but I knew I wanted to say something to Daryl about the Lord. And so I said, Daryl, I said, yeah, I know you hardly know me, but I said, I want to tell you something. I feel like God put me in your life for a reason. He didn't freak out. <laughs> I said, God, he didn't freak out. And I said, well, um, so let me tell you something. About a year ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and he is totally changing my life. And one of the things he's leading me to do is, is share the gospel, share his story with people like you. And has anybody ever talked to you about Jesus Christ before? And he said, nope, I don't really know what you're talking about. So 
So I got to share my testimony with him. I went through and told him what my life had been like before I met the Lord and how I met the Lord and what, what was changing in my life since I'd met the Lord. And it was cool. He didn't freak out. He didn't get in his truck and leave mad. He didn't you know, curse me or anything like that. He just sat and listened. We had a friendship and he kind of trusted me and I didn't beat him over the head with it, but I did share it with him. And then I said, Daryl, would you be interested in coming to church with me? He goes, yeah, I think I would. I don't really know anybody. I need to make some friends. I said, sure. So he came to church with me and my friends at church were outgoing and in the youth group and they encouraged him and kind of met him. So he started seeing those kids at school and having relationships with them. And so about three weeks into this thing, we're having a concert at our church and I couldn't even tell you who the concert, who did the concert. I have no idea. But about uh, near the end of the concert, whoever's singing or whatever stopped and shared the gospel and gave people a chance to give their life to Jesus Christ. And I had everybody pray and I'm praying and I look up from the prayer and Daryl's gone. And I'm thinking, did he leave? Where, where'd he go? And I'm looking and I see Daryl down, he's down front. He's down there, man. I hopped out of my seat and I ran down there. Daryl gave his life to the Lord, prayed with that guy to receive Christ that night at that concert. So we went on and, and he stayed a part of our youth group. And then I went off to college, came back. And the way the Lord works is so interesting because I wound up as the youth minister at the church in the community where he lived and his sister, his little sister was in my youth group. And Daryl was a volunteer in my youth ministry for several years. And I lost touch with Daryl for about 30 years, reconnected with him on Facebook this last year. He lives up in the Dallas area. So all that to say, that, that story of that all started because the Lord put it and laid in my heart through stories like this from the Bible, this idea that leaders start, leaders initiate. Leaders don't wait for someone else to start, they start. And that's what these four guys did. They kicked the ball off. So think about this. Um, they could have, these four men could have been like the crowd and just ignored the crippled man, but they didn't. They said, we're gonna take initiative here and we're gonna get the ball rolling. And, and when you think about that, what, what are you waiting for with your friend? That person that you identified a minute ago that you've thought about, who doesn't know the Lord, you say, well, I've, I've tried already. I've tried with them. I don't know what else to do. Well, hang on, we're gonna talk about that in a second. But maybe you haven't tried. Maybe you know they don't know the Lord, they need the Lord, but you're like, I wouldn't know where to start. Start. <laughs> Ask the Lord where to start. Talk to one of us on staff. We're here to help equip you guys to be able to do the work of ministry in your lives. And we wanna help you do that. There are a lot of ways you can learn to do that. But this, this paralyzed man, he needed his four friends to get him to Jesus. His life would have been different if they hadn't carried him to Jesus. And your friend, the person that you know, your acquaintance, your relative, your coworker, they need you. They need you to start. They won't come up and ask you, probably, but they're waiting on you just like he was waiting on them. So leaders initiate. That's the first thing I want you to see this morning. That's what I want you to discover. So as you walk out of here this morning, do you get that in your mind and heart that as a leader, as someone who leads other people to Jesus, that it's up to us to start that process? Would you take that and own that in your life personally? The second thing I want you to discover is this, that leaders are insistent. Now it says that they, they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they cut a hole in a roof. <laughs> That's a crazy idea. I, you know, plan A didn't work. Plan A was we'll just take him up to the door and these kind people will certainly get out of our way because this man is paralyzed. So they'll obviously clear the way for us to be able to get him to Jesus. Uh, that didn't happen. They didn't clear the way. I don't know what happened when they got to the door. They just probably went, sorry, this, we're full. You can't come in here, you know. I don't know what happened, but plan A didn't work. And they could have just said, man, we tried. 
we've done everything we can do. Man, it didn't work out. Sorry. And just left him there. Did they do that? No. Their crazy plan was to go up on the roof and cut a hole. Not their roof, by the way. Not their house. Probably it was Peter's house. So maybe they thought, well, Peter follows Jesus. He won't care. And maybe he didn't. But they still dug through this guy's roof and tore the top of it off and let this guy. And I always wondered why Jesus is sitting there teaching and stuff starts falling through the roof, you know. And people are going, what is going on, you know. Did Jesus just stop and wait? I mean, I, don't, I have no idea what happened, you know. People are getting stuff in their eyes and their hair. And it's just like, you know it wasn't a neat, clean process. They're tearing the roof off to let this guy down through the roof. And they had to bring something to let him down with. These guys thought about it. They planned. And they didn't quit. They insisted that their friend was going to see Jesus. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing because people, leaders, don't quit on their friends who need Jesus. Now, our enemy wants us to quit. And it's not just a matter of, does this person want me to share with them? Do I share with them? We have an enemy. We need to recognize that, that we have someone who seeks to actually thwart us, to stop us from sharing our faith with our friends. He doesn't want us to succeed. He doesn't want people to come to Christ. So it's not a neutral thing of, of just, well, it might offend them, might not. No, we have an enemy who wants us to stop, who wants to stop us in our tracks. And we have to acknowledge that. You know, it's hard to believe the people wouldn't let him in, but sometimes, sometimes people are the barrier. And even Christian people, sometimes when you're trying to share with someone and, and they go, well, don't, you know, don't be pushy. And I wouldn't encourage you to be manipulative or pushy either. But there's a dis difference between being pushy and being insistent. Sometimes insistence just means I'm going to keep praying, I'm going to keep praying, I'm going to keep praying, I'm not giving up. I wonder in your life if you've given up on that person because they didn't respond the first time. It wasn't a Daryl situation, and all my stories aren't Daryl stories. I got stories where people aren't interested in the gospel, where they don't want Jesus, where they go, oh, that's great for you, I'm not interested. That's, that happens sometimes too, but then what do we do? What happens next? Do we insist not that we can force them to do anything, but do we give up in our heart or in our heart? Do we say, no, I'm going to keep pressing and praying personally for an opportunity to continue to share with them? How do you think, how do you think the, 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 the paralyzed man interpreted their insistence? You think he was annoyed? Oh, guys, don't take me up on the roof. This is so embarrassing. Doesn't say that. I think he was all in. <laughs> he was like, whatever you guys have to do to get me to Jesus, I'm in. I want that because I realize that Jesus can change my life. I think that we as a, as a group of people, as Christians in this culture, we're generally pretty uncomfortable with this idea of insistence. We don't want to be seen like that. We're real laid back to the point that we don't encourage our friends with any sense of urgency. So, so many times we aim, and I say this a lot in my messages, but it's so true, we aim for people's heads when we're sharing the gospel. Like if I could just get them the right information, if they just knew the right stuff, the right truths, then they'd give their life to Jesus Christ. And certainly knowing the truth about Jesus, believing true things about him is important, but it doesn't stop with their head, it's about their heart. And so many times they have to see our heart and they don't see our heart when we quit after the first attempt. Or they do see our heart. Maybe they, they, they gather from our casual attitude that the gospel is not that big a deal. It's sort of a take it or leave it proposition. You don't really need that. It's just another good idea, but it, you don't have to have it. But if, we, if we're passionate in the way that we share with them and we're insistent to say, listen, 
I care about you. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be in heaven with me. I want you to know what I know. I want you to have a relationship with God like I do. I want you to have a full life like God promised through Jesus Christ, abundant living. I want you to know that. If they saw our heart, maybe that would move them in their own lives. You know, I have a good friend who goes to church here and he is a person that I have witnessed many times sharing the gospel. And he is a guy that will, he'll be insistent when he shares the gospel. So if, if someone says, no, I'm not really interested, he'll say, okay, but before I go, before I stop today, I want you to remember that you're not guaranteed another breath. Now, that's true. He's not saying that to scare them, but he's warning them to say, look, none of us are guaranteed another breath. This man I'm talking about, he recently got to share with a guy that he's stuck up a friendship with out on our land. I don't know if you guys know, but right back this back parking lot back here, We've got, I think, 87 acres, I think is what it is. And there's a nine-acre lake out there, and there's walking trails. And there are probably people out there right now this morning using our land who don't go to church here or go to anybody's church. There are always people out here. Every day of the week, there are cars back there. When it's not raining, there are people back there using the trails, walking their dogs, doing all kinds of stuff. And this guy from our church recently had a a follow-up conversation with a guy that he sees out there a lot because this guy from our church goes out there and mows, and he works on the land, he just volunteers his time. And so he was out there a couple of weeks ago, and he saw this guy that he's seen walking his dogs out there several times and he struck up a conversation with him and he said to him, how's everything going? And you know, I've seen you out here a few times and I, I just, I want you to understand why I care about you. And he shared the gospel with him. And this guy shared back with him that a friend of his had recently died, died during that terrible winter storm that we had, terrible, he froze to death. I don't know how that happened, but he was an older man and he actually froze to death. That's crazy. So. This man from our church knew that this guy was thinking about life and death because he had just seen his friend die and he was upset about it. And so my friend, his insistence, he was like, listen, this is so important, man. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You don't know. None of us do. Your friend, you didn't think he was going to die this soon. He died all of a sudden. And life, once life is over, you don't get any more chances to receive Christ. So I really want to insist that you seriously think about receiving Christ as your Savior. Would you like to do that today? And this guy was like, no, I don't think so. I want to think about that. And so my friend from church said, well, look, that's fine. That's great. But let me tell you what you need to do if you decide. You go home and you get in your car later today. He gave him a track, peace, steps to peace with God. He said, look, there's a way at the back that explains how you can trust Christ as your Savior. And nobody has to be with you when you do it. The Lord knows. He knows everything about you. He'll know if you're praying to him and seeking him. And so the guy took the track. Well, a week went by and he saw the man out there again. And so he followed up. He said, look, what, what happened? Have you thought about that anymore? And the guy was honest. He said, I really, really haven't thought about it very much. So my friend, who's insistent, said, look, I'm not trying to bug you, but man, I really care about you. And this is a big deal. I'm serious. You need to seriously think about this. Share the gospel with him again. I mean, I think, would you have done that? Share the gospel with him again. And you know how the story ends? The guy received Christ as his savior. <laughs> Some of you are smiling right now. I see some smiles around the room. That's good. We all love that. Don't we love that? Yes, we do. We celebrate that, right? This guy was insistent. He was like these four guys. He didn't just go, well, I tried. Hey, God, I tried once. Is that our attitude sometimes? Just like, eh, I did my best, but he didn't want it. We just give up. Not these four guys. These four guys were insistent. And 
And, and what happened in the result of this guy's life was not some happy accident. It was, a, it was a result of their intentionality, of their insistence on saying, we're gonna get this guy to Jesus. Now, Easter's coming. I told you guys about that. Two weeks from today is Easter weekend, Easter Sunday. And Easter is the time of the year when most people, more people than any other day of the year come to church on Easter or Easter weekend, even more than Christmas. At least in our culture, that's still true because people who either were formerly churched or had some experience with church in their background kind of associate Easter with going to church. So it's an opportunity for us to invite people to come to a place where Jesus's word is gonna be taught and experience Jesus for themselves. So there's a lot of opportunities and we, you guys will hear more about that, but let me just run through it for you so you understand. Cause I realize that even in this room, we're still kind of distanced and we wanna be careful to continue to do that. So we're providing additional opportunities for people to come. So on Good Friday, there's gonna be two opportunities here on the Longview campus. At 11 a.m., there's gonna be a Good Friday Lord's Supper service here in this room. And it's geared primarily for senior adults, but if you can come at that time and you've got a coworker who would come with you at lunch and you maybe you take them to the service then go buy their lunch somewhere, they'll hear the gospel at that service. So I encourage you to think about that as an opportunity. That night at 7 p.m. on Good Friday, there's gonna be a service here in the worship center as well. Same exact service that happens at 11 a.m., okay? So that's Friday. On Saturday, there'll be a 6 p.m. Easter service here in the worship center. And it's the same message on Saturday night as it is in all the services Sunday. So if you come on Saturday, you don't need to come to another service on Sunday. We're really not sure what to expect on Easter this year with COVID and social distancing, but we wanna be prepared. And we certainly want our church to be sharing the gospel with people. We don't wanna say, well, this year, don't worry about it because of COVID, no. We wanna to continue to share the gospel and invite people to come. So Saturday night at 6 p.m. here in this room, um, there'll be a gospel message that'll be shared. On Sunday morning, we're adding a sunrise service this year. We haven't done that before in, in many, many years. And so the sunrise service will actually be out on our land in an amphitheater that's recently been completed by some of our men out there. And so if you walk through there, there's actually a place to sit. There's uh, stone benches and stuff. You wanna bring your chair, you can do that as well. You can spread out as far away from people as you want to out there, okay? And you can invite somebody to come to that. You'll say, who would come to a sunrise service? You might be surprised especially if you offer to buy their breakfast right afterwards, okay? Seriously, so invite your friends, say, hey, why don't you get up with me, let's do something different, come to the sunrise service with me, and then I'll buy your breakfast wherever you wanna go eat. And, and they'll hear the gospel. So that's at 7 a.m. Then 8, 9, 30, and 11, there'll be services here, and all the Sunday services are identical. So if you come to one of them, you don't, have to, you don't need to come to the other one necessarily, and we certainly wanna have enough room. And then at 11 a.m., Marley and Espanol will be meeting over in the crossing, as they do most Sundays, and you say, well, I don't speak Spanish, but you may know someone who does or who speaks some English, but prefers Spanish, invite them to come with you. You could come to seven or eight or 9.30 and then meet them over there for the 11 o'clock service. And even if you can't speak, communicate with them very well, someone over there will translate for you, but they're gonna hear the gospel over there as well. So there are a lot of opportunities for you. Also in Marshall, we're doing a Good Friday service on Friday night and then 9.30 and 11 services over there on Sunday morning. So. I just mentioned about 10 different opportunities for us to invite someone to come to an Easter experience and hear the gospel. And you say, well, I invited somebody last year and they didn't come. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you quit? Invite them again. Ask them to come back with you this year. And maybe they won't come with you, but that's the door that's gonna open for you to begin a conversation with them about the gospel. About all those things I just mentioned, we've got inviter cards like this that you can grab as you go out this morning that have that schedule on them. So if you don't remember the schedule, it's totally fine. You can grab one of these, it'll help you remember the things that are going on. But all those things are designed to be opportunities for you to invite someone 
to hear the gospel. So I want to say that, yes, leaders are initiators, first of all. Leaders are insistent. And the third thing I want you to see this morning is that leaders are insightful. These four men had an insight into who Jesus was. They believed he was the son of God. They believed that if they could get their friend physically to Jesus, that he would probably be healed. They knew that he had that kind of power. They believed his identity was the son of God, so they knew he could do that. And how do we know that? Because the Bible very clearly says Jesus saw their faith. So Jesus knew they believed when they tore the roof off that house. He knew that they believed. They were demonstrating that by doing all the effort and taking all the effort to get their friend to Jesus. And he saw their faith. And Jesus always sees your faith as well. He always sees my faith. He always recognizes faith in us. And he saw the faith of these believers and he was encouraged by that. He actually acted on their behalf because of that. He always knows our faith. But I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't meet this man's physical need first. I mean, the reason they brought him to Jesus was because he couldn't walk. So they wanted him to be able to be healed. They wanted to witness a miracle. They wanted to see the whole thing. Yeah, but Jesus didn't heal him first. Jesus forgave his sins first because Jesus met his greatest need first. And that is every single person's greatest need. Every person that you care about, every person that you seek to share your faith with, their greatest need, though you may look at their life and see a lot of needs, their greatest need is the same one that this man had, same one that I had, it's forgiveness. It's to be made right with God, is to be put into a right relationship with God, to have our position changed before God, to go from being a stranger to being adopted as a son, from going from being uh, condemned to being pardoned, to being forgiven, to being made right with God. Your position changes through Jesus Christ and it never goes away. It changes forever. And so the beautiful thing here is they got their friend to Jesus and he got his sins forgiven. Now, the, he recognized that the Pharisees and the scribes were like questioning, how can this man say he forgives sins? He's, only God can forgive sins. So Jesus knows what you're thinking too. He, know, he knew what these guys were thinking. And so he said, what's, what's easier to say? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or is it easier to say take up your mat and walk? Well, it would be easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't verify that. But if I say take up your mat and walk and the guy can't take up his mat and walk, Kind of looks like I'm a fraud, doesn't it? Right? But Jesus said, so that you'll know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, take up your mat and walk. And he took up his mat and walked. <laughs> because he does have authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to meet our greatest need first. And that's what he seeks to do. And so when we interact with people, we have to remember what their greatest need is as well. Their greatest need is not necessarily physical. It may not be relational, it may not be financial, though they may have needs in all those areas. Their greatest need, regardless of what their life looks like, and you may interact with somebody who has it all together. They make more money than you, they got a nicer car than you, they live in a better house than you, their kids are better looking than your kids, whatever it is. You may look at all that outward stuff and go, they don't need Jesus. Oh yeah, they do. Their greatest need is to be made right with God through Jesus Christ and their salvation in no one else. So these four friends had that insight. And you do too. You follow Jesus Christ, you have that same insight. You know that. You know that people need Jesus more than they need anything else. And that's why we don't quit. That's why we insist. That's why we persevere. That's why we are persistent with our friends because we know that that's their greatest need. One of the things you can ask somebody when you're seeking to share the Lord with them is just this simple question. What would you say your greatest need is? You'll get an interesting answer. I guarantee you they won't say my greatest need is forgiveness. 
I, I guarantee they won't say my greatest need is to be made right with God. They might, I guess that could happen, but it probably won't happen. They'll probably say, well, I need a better relationship with my wife or my son or my, you know, better work relationship, whatever. And then you can look at them and say, you know what the Bible says your greatest need is? You know what Jesus said your greatest need is? Your greatest need is forgiveness. Your greatest need is to be made right with him. And Jesus said an interesting thing in John 3, 14 and 15. We know John 3, 16, but the two verses right before it maybe aren't as familiar to you. And this is what Jesus said. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. What's he talking about? Go back to Numbers 21. Here's the situation. People of God, the Israelites had rebelled against God and God was punishing them. So he sought, he, he sent, I'm sorry, sent poisonous snakes into their camp and they bit them. And some people were dying from these snake bites. Can you imagine a more awful thing? Snakes everywhere, poisonous snakes. And he sent the snakes in there. And so the people were complaining and went to Moses and said, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. And they, Moses went to God and God said, okay, Moses, make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and put it in the middle of the camp and then tell the people whoever will just look at the bronze serpent will be healed of their snake bite. Okay, so if you're laying in your tent and you've been bitten by a poisonous snake and you see people around you dying and somebody comes by your tent and says, hey, Moses, you know, crazy Moses, he just put up a bronze serpent in the middle of the camp and he said, if anybody will look at it, they'll be healed. And you're laying there and you're going, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. But you have maybe 5% faith that it might work. You're 95% sure it's not gonna work, but you have 5% in your mind that's going, I guess I'll give it a shot. And the Bible doesn't say you have to have 100% faith. It says, if you're willing to crawl out of your tent and look at that, put your eyes on it, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. What happened when those people looked at that snake on that bronze serpent, that pole, they got healed. It worked. And Jesus used that example to say, as Moses did that as a sign that when you look to that bronze serpent, you're exercising your little bit of faith, your mustard seed of faith, you're exercising that. You're showing that you have it. So I, Jesus, must be lifted up on the cross that whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Because the next verse says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what your friend needs. They need everlasting life. They need forgiveness for their sin. And you know that. You have that insight. So let me encourage you. As we think about Easter, it's not just about Easter, but especially as you think about Easter approaching, to initiate with your friends who don't know Jesus and to be insistent that you try to bring them and pray for them and encourage them to come and share the gospel with them. Share your testimony with them because you have the insight that they need Jesus more than anything else. Now, having said that, I realize that there are some people here today that I don't know. I don't know some of you. I look around the room, some of you are unfamiliar to me, and that's fine. It's great. We're so glad you're here. But I wonder if there's somebody in this room this morning who has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, who's never said, yeah, I need my greatest need met by Jesus as well. So if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask everyone just to bow your head and close your eyes as we close this morning. And I'm going to ask you, if you are a believer in Jesus, to pray for the people that are around you this morning. And if you're here and you'd say, I, I've never asked Christ to come into my life. I, I really, as you've talked this morning, I've thought about it. I really think that's my greatest need is to be, to be forgiven by Jesus. I need to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I realize, I do believe Jesus is who he said he is, that he's the Messiah. 
that he died and he rose again. I believe that about him, but I've never actually put my trust in him. And I wanna do that this morning. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise and God cannot break his promises because he would cease to be God at that point. So he can't break his promise. His promises are good and true. And so he makes you that promise that if you'll call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Those of you in the room, those of you who are watching online this morning, this is for you. I told you a minute ago at the welcome that you were gonna have a chance to experience the power of God this morning. And if you've never asked Christ to come into your life, then this morning you could experience his power in a very real way, forgiving your sin and making you right with him. So with nobody looking around but me this morning, if that's you and you'd say, I want that. I wanna put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning. Just raise your hand where I can see you. Just be bold about it. It's the best decision you'll ever make. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. You guys that have your hands up, I'm gonna lead you in what the Bible calls just calling on the name of the Lord. You might call it a prayer, but it's more than that. It's really, a, it's really your faith in action. It's, it's you looking to Jesus and saying, I believe in you and I want you to save me. And he will hear that prayer this morning. He'll hear your heart. He'll answer and he'll save you. So you could just say these words to God or use your own words. Just say something like this, dear God in heaven, I know you're real and I believe in you and I believe in Jesus <clears throat> and I'm sorry for my sin. I don't want it. <laughs> I, I, I abandoned my sin. I don't want sin in my life anymore. I wanna be saved. I wanna know forgiveness. I wanna have a relationship with you. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Thank you for saving me. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.